0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Straight From the CPA's Mouth. This episode is the first in a special two part podcast about taxes. I'm Gordon Turtle with CPA Alberta, and I'll be your host for these two episodes. I heard that future casting is an essential tool for long-term business. According to a recent poll, 48% of Canadians say they are
1: $200 or less each month away from... All down down again? Do you
0: think and the Energy sector huh. is too dependent on our... Canadian student Leeds University with 26000 considering cloud computing for my business?
1: Filter out the noise. Hear it straight from the CPA's mouth.
0: We've all heard the saying that in life, only two things are certain, death and taxes. Well, in the 21st century, it's probably safe to say there are now three things that are certain, death, taxes, and podcasts about taxes. Fortunately, this podcast could very well be the best one you'll hear this tax season, especially when it comes to tips on how to prepare and file your taxes this spring. I can say that because our guest for these two podcasts is a chartered professional accountant and one of Alberta's most seasoned tax professionals. Joining me today is Dale Somerville, CPA, CA, who's the founder and president of W. Dale Somerville Professional Corporation. Dale will be sharing his knowledge and insight into the wide world of taxes and will be giving tips on how to handle them. Before I introduce Dale, I want to let you know that the contents of this podcast are intended only as general information. They should not be construed as direct tax advice for your personal tax situation. For assistance with your tax situation, please check with your own tax specialist. So, welcome to our podcast series, Dale. Tell me, is this the first podcast you've ever been part of? Yes, I think it is, Gord. I remember
1: recording some GST CDs, actually cassette tapes, many, many years ago. That was the last time I was in a recording studio.
0: Wow. I don't think I had a chance to listen to those, unfortunately. I think we have quite a few left over, Gord. Okay. I'll send a couple over. That'd be great. Put me on the mailing list. As you know, this podcast is produced by the CPA Education Foundation's Heshey CPA Knowledge Centre and is made possible thanks to a generous gift from Alberta businessman and CPA Brian Heshey. Um, Dale, I understand that during your training as an articling student, you took a course from Brian Heshey. Do you have any recollections of the course you took and any significant takeaways from Brian and his teaching style? Gord, my recollection is that
1: Brian taught one of four courses that we had to take going through the program, and I believe it was either audit concepts, which is what I think it was, or audit procedures. Mm -hmm. My recollection with Brian and his teaching was that he instilled in us the importance of being skeptical and not believing it just because it was a number on a page. Hmm. So I think that's where the saying, does this make sense, came from. Hmm. And we use the, does this make sense at the office every day? And uh, I think I can attribute that back to Brian.
0: Well, that's great to hear. He's definitely made an impact on a lot of uh, CPAs and other people over the years. So. We're really uh, proud to be associated with him. So now let's uh, turn our attention to uh, taxes. It's tax season in Canada. I know that every year there are a few changes in tax laws and deductions and all that other kind of stuff. So we've got a number of questions we're going to run through with you, uh, Dale, in this first part of the podcast. And um, I understand, generally speaking, that taxes are a pretty complex topic. Is that true? Gord, it's a great
1: question. Yes, you're correct. It's complicated. I just brought along the most recent version of uh, the Income Tax Act and I checked it has 2,458 pages and I'm referring to the Practitioner's Income Tax Act 55th edition edited by David Sherman. Uh, Also notable was that this year's Federal Income Tax and Benefit Guide for people preparing their 2019 income tax returns, it comes in at 55 pages. Hmm. So if anybody thinks it's simple, it really isn't. I'm Uh, going to put this Income Tax Act on the floor so I don't stub my... (laughs) There we go.
0: Wow, that sounds uh, brutal, Daryl. I'd like to ask you to provide our listeners with some tips for preparing their own returns and also organizing their tax-related information if they're making use of a CPA tax professional to do their taxes for them.
1: Gord, the first thing I'd like to mention is that the... A tax department employs a matching program. So they receive information slips from anyone that issues them. So banks, employers, trust companies, and so on. And they compare what they've received with your social insurance number to what you've put on your tax return. So completeness is one of the most important things when you're preparing your tax return. If you omit something, the matching program will catch it and what will result in a review of your return and possibly a reassessment. And if you're doing this on a recurring basis, you are subject to some
0: penalties that are quite onerous. So I knew that, I, I, I figured there had to be a way that they would know whether you were submitting everything you had and that's how they do it, eh? Correct. Yeah. Interesting. Does the CRA focus on, in, on an individual's revenue or his or her expenses?
1: Well, of course, revenue drives the bus. The government wants to make more revenue And uh, so their focus is on the revenue side. They're not making sure that you've deducted all the things you're entitled to. That's up to you, the taxpayer. And we can probably talk about that a little bit later. So their, their main focus is on the revenue side. Another thing to consider is the retention of documents that you've used to prepare your income tax return. You should keep copies of all the documents you used in the event your return is reviewed by the tax department. And if you're using a CPA tax preparer, you should hang on to receipts you've received throughout the year and go over them with your CPA to determine if any of them might result
0: in a deduction or a tax credit. So what kind of receipts are you talking about? Like, uh, obviously, you know, if I buy a car or something, do I need to save the receipts for tax purposes?
1: As a general rule, always keep the receipts. Hmm. And at the end of the year, you can go through them with your accountant and determine which ones apply to that taxation year. But some of the common receipts would be, uh, for example, your receipts for RSP contributions, uh, charitable donations, medical receipts, political donations. And if you're self-employed or, uh, or a commissioned salesperson, keeping track of your vehicle expenses, office in the home expenses, um, anything to do with running your your business, You want to retain those so that at the end of the year you can put together a statement of your operations and include that in your tax return.
0: Good to know. Um, What should a taxpayer do to make sure they've included all their information slips on their income tax return? Well, CRA has a
1: service called CRA My Account, and that's used, you can use that to verify that all the slips that you've included are the same ones that the tax department has. One caution is that the longer you wait towards the end of April, the more likely the tax department will have all of the information. Deadlines for filing information slips, T4s and T5s, it's the end of February, which I think is March 2 or something this year. And for T3s, which is allocations of trust income, so a lot of investors receive T3s, The issuers aren't required to send those out until the last day of March. So, it really jams up the tax preparation uh, process for those of us that have a number of clients that are investors. So, if you are trying to see if you have all your slips and you're doing that at the end of February, chances are none of the T3s will be loaded
0: up yet. Hmm. Well, you mentioned CRA, my account. How How does a person register for that? Well, you contact them. And you can
1: do that by telephone. You provide them with some personal information like your social insurance number, the day you were born, your postal code. And then they'll ask you about one or more amounts that you entered on your last income tax return. So you need to have a copy of your return at hand. And to register, a return for one of these two years must have been filed and assessed. So you, you can't have a return that you haven't sent in yet. And then you create a user ID and a password. And then the CRA will issue a CRA security code, which can be selected for, by, for mailing by the individual. Then you enter that code and uh, you access your return. And there's a number of records that you can access. And you can also use that portal to make changes to your what I would call master file information with the tax department.
0: It sounds complicated, but I can understand why they need to go through so many uh, security hoops with information as sensitive as as tax information. Exactly. So, just a question for you. um, Can people still submit paper income tax returns? Does it all have to be online now? Uh,
1: No. Filing a paper return is an acceptable way to do it. There's a number of ways of filing now. Uh, For example, you could file using Netfile which is the CRA secure service to complete a return. Also, e-file, which is quite common in Canada. And typically there, you'll be going to an authorized e-filer. All of us have an e-file number that's been given to us by the uh, federal government. And then we can uh, prepare the return and file it electronically. And there is a service that CRA offers called File My Return. And then finally, there's always the paper return. So for example, the e-file function was shut down for several weeks this year, and during that time, if we had to file a return, we did so uh, using paper. So they still accept paper. The, the time for assessment is quite a bit
0: longer for a paper-filed return compared to an electronically filed one. Thanks for that. Um, what information can a taxpayer change using CRA, my account? Well, you can change a previous year's return
1: by filing what's called a T1 adjustment request. You can make an adjustment. Perhaps you became aware of some additional revenue or some additional expenses that you wanted to include in, let's say, your 2018 return. You could still do that now. Also, if you want to change your address or your phone number, apply for child benefits, um, arrange to have direct deposit. The government will deposit your refund if you're getting one into an account that you select. You can also use it to authorize a representative. So if you wanted to have a CPA firm or individual CPA represent you, you could do that on, the, um, on that portal. You can also set up a pre-authorized payment plan if you wanna start making regular payments. You can use that to initiate the formal dispute of an assessment. You may not agree with an assess- assessment you've received. You can change your marital status and it's not like they they won't annul your your marriage, Gord. It just means that you're telling them what's happened on the marriage front. You can also order remittance vouchers so that you you're able to make payments at the bank on your account, and you can also use it uh, to submit documents that CRA has requested. So it's quite a quite a good service, and it's nice now that CRA does accept uh, scanned documents. If they make a request of us, we can send them documents that we've scanned. Uh, the originals from our client. We don't have to actually send the originals anymore.
0: Well, that so makes things way easier than they used to be, and it's a bit of a hassle setting up maybe, but it sounds like it's well worth it to get a an account set up. Right on. So let's just uh, shift subject a bit here. Um, what happens when a taxpayer has property or income from foreign jurisdictions? How do you handle that tax-wise? Well,
1: The first thing to remember is Canada taxes people based on residency, not citizenship. So basic rule is if you live in Canada, you're gonna be filing a tax return. You're responsible for reporting your worldwide income. So that would include income you've earned. A lot of people have income from the US and um, other countries around the world. You report it all and there's there's a system in place to grant credits for foreign taxes paid, and we have tax treaties with a number of countries, uh, several countries all around the world, and uh, so the the idea is that you'll you're not going to be paying tax in two jurisdictions without the getting a benefit because you've already paid some tax elsewhere. But it's the main thing is
0: remember it's your worldwide income; it's all your income that has to be reported. Okay, well that makes sense. So if you are living in Canada, but you make some money in the U.S., you do have to file a U.S. tax return as well? Or does it depend on the circumstance? Well,
1: it depends on the circumstance. What often happens is if, if a, let's say, a financial institution is making a payment to a non-resident person, uh, in Canada, you advise the bank this person's non-resident, and they withhold the required amount of withholding tax, uh, so the Canadian government gets their share, before the net amount is remitted outside of the country. One thing you alluded to earlier, Gord, was this idea of uh, foreign property, and that's a separate set of rules. And if you have property that had a cost of over $100,000 Canadian invested in specified foreign property, you not only have to include the earnings from that property in your tax return, you also have have to file another return that's called a T-1135, foreign income verification statement the government figured out that a number of taxpayers had income and assets offshore and they perhaps weren't recording the gains when they sold it or the income these assets were generating while they held them so there's now a reporting saying this is how much i had here's the country i had it in here's the income it generated so they're able to keep a closer track of the uh taxpayer that's complex and that they have assets outside of the country. Interesting.
0: So what is this new, um, Canada training credit we've been hearing about? Well, this, um,
1: Canada training credit, it actually applies to tuition and other fees for courses that you've taken in 2020 and subsequent taxation years. And you're able to accumulate $250 in each year, up to a maximum of $5,000 in a lifetime. And it's a refundable credit, so you'll be able to actually get a refund associated with these payments that you're making. So the idea of the program is to try and encourage people to uh, continue lifelong learning, lifelong training, and be useful for you know for more years than they might have otherwise been.
0: Well, that's awesome. That sounds like a very uh, relevant and useful um, benefit. So it's, it doesn't start until this year, so you, you can't use it on doing your 2019 return, is that correct?
1: Right. It's in 2019 and subsequent taxation years, you can start accumulating these credits, but I understand that uh, the credit back to you would start in 2020.
0: Okay, great. Good to know. There's another benefit we often hear a lot about, and that's the home buyer's plan. How does that work, and how does that affect your taxes?
1: Well, there's really two programs. Um, one of them is the ability to withdraw money from your RRSP to assist you in making a down payment on a residence. And just recently, they've increased the limit from twenty-five dollars to $35,000. And the idea is you take the money out of your rsp and then you have 15 years to pay it back and if you are unable to make a payment or choose not to make a payment so let's say for example you put in fifteen thousand dollars so that's fifteen thousand dollars divided by 15 that would be a thousand dollars per year you're supposed to pay back to your rsp so then in a year if you made a five thousand dollar rsp contribution you could say well yeah, the first thousand was paying back my for the um, uh home buyer's withdrawal that I made four thousand goes into my RSP based we think of that as a new contribution if you don't make that thousand dollar repayment thousand dollars is added to your income in that year so just as if you'd taken money out of your RSP and spent it right so that's the that's the program the other thing about uh, buying a home is that you can claim a five thousand dollar, uh, credit it's it's non-refundable, so you have to have income to to get it, and it's federal only uh, for the purchase of a qualifying home in the year, and uh, you have a couple of conditions you have to meet. First of all, you or your spouse have acquired a qualifying home, and secondly, you didn't live in another home owned by you or your spouse okay. in the last in the preceding four years. So it's, it's it seems like quite a bit of paperwork uh, to get to a percentage. You're not going to get $5,000. Uh, you can claim 5,000, but the credit will be less than that.
0: It'll be a percentage of the 5,000. OK, so just to follow up on that, with the home buyer's plan, is that only if you're buying your first home or can you use it for any homes, do you know? Well, for the credit, you
1: couldn't have owned a home in any of the four preceding years. Okay. And when you're taking money out of your RSP, you have to have gone through a four-year period of not occupying a home owned by you or your spouse. Got it. So they're just trying to... They're awarding that, if you will, on a once-in-a-while basis to try and get away from people trying to catch it every year.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so that keeps uh, flippers from getting involved. Right. Let's turn to another subject that we often get a lot of questions about, which is what medical expenses can a taxpayer receive a credit for? Gord, the list of medical
1: expenses is long and complicated. Hmm. And we all have lists at our office. And most things that you would think about, for example, uh, prescription glasses, dental work, prescribed drugs, braces on your teeth or on your legs. Uh, there's a number of things that uh, would fall into that category. And there are some more exotic uh, things that uh, fall onto that list. But the idea is that you can claim these medical expenses. And there's a one little test that I'd like to mention. The first thing that happens is once you've added up all your medical expenses, you can only claim them to the extent that they exceed uh, the lower of three percent of your net income and for 2019 twenty three hundred and fifty two dollars so it's not starting at dollar one and uh, so once you've done that uh, and of course you can find the eligible medical expenses that long list is on the CRA website so for example I think if you're celiac you can claim some of your uh, gluten-free food um, there's a number of very, very specific uh, items that uh, you may be eligible for. And it's worthwhile to go down that list because perhaps one of your family members, maybe one of your parents or a sibling has some uh, issue and they'd be able to to obtain a deduction. So a parent could claim that on behalf of
0: a young child?
1: Yes, medical expenses. uh, So in in a typical family unit, two spouses and uh, with children, uh, you'd generally have the person with the lowest income, the parent with the lowest income would claim the medical expenses for the whole family. Oh, okay. Okay. Another thing to remember just before we move along, Gord, is that medical expenses is for any twelve month period ending in the year. So if you think about it, if you had a bunch of orthodontic work in December and then a bunch of new glasses in January, you'd love to get those together because they would help you exceed that threshold. Well, if you've been paying attention, you could perhaps decide, okay, I'm going to include everything for a 12 month period ending March 31, 2019 because it picked up those expenses from the end of 18 and the expenses at the beginning of 19 and increase your credit by doing Mm -hmm. that. I did not know that.
0: I don't think I've ever claimed medical expenses, but I'll have to look into it.
1: Well, of course, if you have a medical plan, or a um, extended health plan at your place of work, normally there's going to be a premium that you pay, which would perform a medical expense. And then often there's a copay. So for example, for uh, orthodontics, the plan might not cover all of the orthodontics fees, it might only be 50% or 80%. Remember that that co the amount that you're paying, also qualifies as a medical expense. So you can you can. You want to make sure that this would be an example of a receipt to take with you to the professional tax preparer, because often the you know a life insurance company will give you a statement saying, "Here's how much you claimed. Here's how much we're going to cover. Here's the amount we're not going to claim." Well, it's that not amount that we want to put in with your medical expenses. Interest. So you don't want to miss
0: those. Yeah. Um so when when will i get the slips that i need for filing my return i know there's deadlines for t4s and rsp receipts and all the rest of that are they all under the same deadline or or how does that uh, work uh pretty well we
1: discussed earlier about the um some of the slips like t4s that that reports your employment income those are supposed to be uh mailed no later than the end of february same with t5 slips t5 slips report interest income dividend income royalty income, those should all be in the mail uh, to you by the end of February. And then T3 slips, as we mentioned earlier, they have to be filed, it's not three months, it's actually 90 days from the end of the year. So that's March 30th. What's the T3 again? T3 is reporting trust income, uh, allocations uh, from trusts, and a lot of mutual funds fall into that category. So you're allocated, you might be allocated some uh, interest income, dividend income, capital gains, that information, you won't receive it until you get your T3 slip. So what we found in our office, court is tax season really gets started on April 1st or the 5th of April when we're pretty sure we've got all the information. And I feel sorry for our clients that are anxious to get their return filed, uh, get their refund or find how much they owe. But we're not sure we have all the information we know if they've had a lot of t3s in the past we have to wait and we've i know there's been some task forces with banks uh, and other reporters working with the tax department but it's just the way it works they need that extra 30 days and so i think that's the system we'll have forever
0: just do you know um if people are late getting those slips out like your employer is late getting your t4 out or your financial institution is late getting that T three out. Are they? Can they be penalized for that?
1: Yes, there are penalties for uh, filing late, and I just gave a presentation on this conveniently a couple of days ago, Gord. Mm. And the fines, it's on a per slip basis, so they treat each slip as a return, and the minimum fine is a hundred dollars, and the maximum fine is seventy five hundred per slip. Wow. No, that would be, that's based on the number of slips. Oh, I see. So it maxes out at 7,500. So if you're a big bank co and you're a couple of days late, $7,500 based on the current bank earnings, it's probably not a big deal. Yeah. But it's designed to encourage people to file those slips on a timely basis and, you know, continue the, the, the government of Canada needs the cash. Hmm. And um, so, yes, they have a lot of refunds to pay out, but they also want to catch those returns where people owe money. Mm-hmm.
0: Good to know. So we often hear about uh, making charitable donations can save you tax money. Um, What donations can be claimed for a tax credit?
1: Well, the most common one, Gord, would be charitable donations. And we find that people donate to, uh, for example, performing arts group, uh, theater groups, uh, musical groups, also to uh, charities that provide I would say care for the citizens, uh, hospice groups. Uh, most of the hospitals have a charitable foundation, where they're able to issue charitable donation receipts, and then that money is used to buy additional equipment uh, or improvements for hospitals all around the province. So those are the the main thing is that you have a charitable organization number on the receipt that you receive. And if you're not sure about the organization, it's always a good idea. You can look that up to see if it's a valid number. And in the past, there have been some uh, scams associated with uh, charitable giving. And basic rule is, if it seems too good to be true, it is. And the tax department has been successful over the last number of years reassessing taxpayers. I believe it's in the billions of dollars now for uh, claims that were made that were not supported
0: by fact. Hmm. I guess if you buy a like a ticket to a hospital foundation dream home lottery or something those are not deductible, is that correct?
1: Despite the best efforts of many of our clients, you're correct Gord, you're not able to deduct those. It's still
0: a good cause though. It's a very good cause. Who knows? You might win a nice home or something. Yeah, yeah Yeah, exactly. Um, I think you might have answered this but just to be clear when does a person need to file the tax return by this year?
1: Well, of course, there's more than one rule, Gord. Oh. For the average person, your return is due on April 30th. So that means delivered to a tax service office or postmarked April 30th or earlier. Uh, for those individuals that have business income, so they're self-employed, they have a, they're running their own business, they actually have until the end of, or sorry, the 15th of June to make their return to the government. However, any taxes owing are supposed to be paid by April 30th, which is always—we always thought that was amusing—they wanted the money before they got the return. Hmm. And then there's uh, separate rules for those that have passed away during the year. And if you if you die between January and October 31, the return is due April 30th of the next year. And if you die between November 1 and December 31 you have six months from the date of death uh, to file. Or your
0: your estate does.
1: Your estate does, yes. (laughs) Yeah, if they were sitting around waiting for the deceased people to file returns, it could
0: be a long wait,
1: yes.
0: (laughs) What about like um, income splitting and so on? Like for example, can a taxpayer split their pension income with their spouse?
1: Yes, that's quite common. It's a great tool because often one spouse has more retirement income than the other and you can split... To achieve uh, quite a good result because as you know the tax rates in Canada uh, I always like to explain it that income is taxed in slices so the first let's say 35 or $40,000 is taxed at one amount the next 35,000 is taxed at another amount and so on and in in Alberta the rates range from 25% is the lowest slice and 48% is the highest slice So you can see that if you have a high income taxpayer and a spouse with hardly an income, it's it's a great tool to push some of those earnings from a high tax bracket into a low tax bracket on the spouse's tax return. So it's a super powerful tool. And then in terms of filing, there is a joint election that has to be completed. Both people have to sign it and have that available uh, for examination if required with their tax return. So the one party gets a deduction and the other party has an income inclusion. And obviously, the amounts have to agree, but it's a great, uh, great program. Uh, there's certain rules you can't. Canada Pension Plan uh, doesn't fall into that category, but other pensions, uh, RIF, you know, retired, Registered Retirement Income Fund payments do qualify for that treatment.
0: Well, uh, speaking of splitting, we're splitting this podcast into two episodes, and this seems like a good place to uh, take a break and end the uh, first episode. Thanks, Dale, for your uh, input so far. This episode of Straight from the CPA's Mouth is the first of a two-part special on the complex world of taxes. Thanks for listening in, and make sure to tune in to part two to learn more from Dale about taxes and how to handle them. Part two will be posted in about two weeks. And of course, as always, don't forget to subscribe to the Straight from the CPA's Mouth mailing list for exclusive content. Thanks, Dale, and we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Gord.
1: Straight from the CPA's mouth is brought to you by the CPA Education Foundation. The CPA Education Foundation is the charitable arm of the Alberta CPA profession, providing up to $1.2 million each year in support of business and accounting education in the province. This podcast is just one of many resource materials available through the Heshi CPA Knowledge Center. This virtual hub features Alberta CPAs sharing their unique perspective and vast expertise on topics and issues such as leadership, finance, entrepreneurship, and more. Visit CPAalberta.ca Foundation for more information on the Heshi CPA Knowledge Center and to learn how Alberta CPAs
0: inspire success.